Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show that comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was, getting you ready for the Holly Weird Week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, hashtag MMO Weekly, hashtag MMOW. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike, Mike, may the force be with you. <laughs> we did it, though, Mike. <laughs> Seriously, we did it. We got MMOW to the middle of the week. It'll be the end of the week next week. Yeah, don't be promising anything <laughs> outside of you're listening to this on a Thursday or Friday right now. Somehow like. we did it this week, though, so <laughs> right. I'm, I'm happy for that. We'll eventually get our shit together and yeah, program... Maybe. Eventually, maybe never, probably, <laughs> probably never. But never. you're getting four episodes this week, so right, you're, that's you're, something. You're, you're hyped for that, so that that's cool. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna wait for that. We have not seen Star Wars yet. We will be giving you a full breakdown of all things <laughs> when the world is burning out there in a galaxy far, far away. We'll be giving you our full review of that later on, uh, closer to Christmas in a couple days. Uh, before that, we have a lot of stuff. This is your weekly news and recap show of all the big. Big stories and all the big blockbuster news going on. If you're looking for a more award-centric, a more Oscar-centric and specific show, we have a news show once a week for that as well. That is your Oscar race checkpoint that we hopefully, like Mike just kind of alluded to, will be putting at the beginning of your work week. We actually just put that out two days ago, uh, back on Tuesday, so you can go back and listen to that for everything you need to know to get you caught up on all things happening Oscars-wise. Otherwise, this is your trip around the Hollywoods, as I like to say, and Mike likes to make fun of me for, so let's get into it, Michael. Let's start with what we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we're watching. It's what we're watching. Nice. Very it's good. What we okay, six underground. We both watched this. Oh boy, did we? This reminded me of my nine-year-old self playing with my action figures. I need to give Colby Mac <laughs> all kinds of credit because he is putting like desperately out there fighting off people, trying to put a positive spin on this and saying this is worth seeing and I it's fun. It. I do too. I do too. This movie was not good. So Colby didn't have his laptop open. That's because we were talking about it in the pre-show. Like, if you have your laptop open, you're trying to watch Six Underground, you're not going to have your attention on it's the screen. It's, so, you said it best. It's the easiest movie in the world to zone in and out of because there's no attachment to At least... In Michael Bayland, like Shia LaBeouf, you kind of care about what happens to him with giant robots. CGI robots. Right. Well, look, I mean, to this movie's credit, it had a cool opening. That chase scene. Great is opening scene. Great opening scene. Very captivating. And then I just did not give two Fs. Couldn't care less. About this plot going forward. I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't care. It was on the line of being awesomely bad or just being bad. Right. And I agree. It, and it totally went in, in one direction that I was not happy about. At least if it was awesomely bad, I could tell you what happened at the end. I, I had the movie on the whole time, and I, I just I looked up and the, it was over. Netflix was playing something else. I was like, oh, I guess I missed it. It's like nails on the on a chalkboard storytelling for me. And that style just never works with a Michael Bay film. He's been doing it for the last, like, 15 years. I just see the moves he's trying to make, and he's trying to be cutesy about it. And it never lands. And I'm so mad at Wernick and Reese, the writers of yeah, Deadpool, yeah. both Deadpools and both Zombielands. I really thought this was going to be a better Michael Bay movie because he had great screenwriters. They're not great enough or he screwed up their script. I don't know what happened here, but beyond the cinematography and special effects, this movie did not work. And it does have great cinematography and it does have great special effects. And you do get some, you know, outside of the big explosions, big action pieces, there are some Michael Bay 
trademarks and hallmarks that are there. He can shoot a setting. He's very, a little Michael Mann-esque on how he shoots a city and the outline of it. And that was very pretty to see. So there's stuff there. And like I say, if you stay for the first 20 minutes, you're going to get your money's worth with this because it's a great opening set. But when Andy's playing with his toys and fantasizing about playing with his toys at the beginning of the last two Toy Stories, those <laughs> plots make more sense. One-Eyed Bart and all those plots make more yeah. sense than this nonsense. Yeah, this plot was rough. I, I, I and you like it. This greatest sin is, it's impossible to care about these people because you don't have any connection or relatability or backstory to them that you give a shit about it's just they're all the baddest ass people that need to do one more job that all fake their deaths it's okay and it, it's total paradox because ryan reynolds is a character that doesn't care about people that's his that's his whole character like he doesn't care about people but then he's trying to do this one last job right uh, come on and can we and he's find, already a billionaire. Why is well, that's what this? I was going for? Can we find a different trope that's a get out of jail free card for all like how these things can happen, other than one person being the notorious rich guy working in the shed? Like it works for Batman because that started in the forties. We need to. Frank Reynolds should be the last of those, right? From Always Sunny. That's the last get out of jail free because I'm a billionaire card that entertainment should have. We have to find other ways for people to be able to do these things other than this guy's get all the money. Yeah, and you know what's good about Batman? The Joker, folks. <laughs> you have an antagonist that's worth you know just looking up from your yeah. laptop and fixating right. upon in this movie the brother of one guy who's a trickster whatever is the villain and he barely gets henchman level screen time yeah it's there's a lot of things that are brutal about this I, we don't like talking negatively about movies. I feel like I say that as a, a warning after we talk negatively every time we talk negatively about a movie. But this I is, like talking negatively about this movie. This is so. not a great movie is it's where the, I'll land on that. It's a South Park, you know, cutaway. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. It's for 90 minutes. And I guess if you just want to shut your brain off, maybe it's fun. And Colby, you know, props to you. God bless everyone defending this. You like I truly, blowing up. Truly, yeah. You're good. God bless all of you. Um, from something that we couldn't keep our attention to, I would say something that we watched if we didn't understand WTF was going on. It was mesmerizing. Yeah. In Fabric from A24, I would say it's weirder than scary. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the understatement of the year. It was like all the style of uh, Dario Argento mixed with yes. the inexplicability of the Twin Peaks, the return series. Peter Strickland, I said this in a tweet too. First of all, he's a wackadoo. Mm. I didn't say that because I don't know how to spell wackadoo. <laughs> Peter Strickland, I feel like, is like seven to ten years away right. from doing some really cool mainstream shit. I and wish he went even to the non-mainstream stuff in this movie, like the shocky elements, because I thought those were the, the funnest stuff in the movie. Oh, I don't think this was mainstream, Michael, do you? Right, but I, I, <laughs> even if you're not going mainstream, if you're going on that other tributary, look at me and my vocabulary this episode, <laughs> if you go into all those shocky elements, like when he uses them, yeah. they're hilarious and fun and the satire And you can't in. look away, yeah. Right. You're always captive, whether you're laughing at something, whether you're weirded out, whether you're like, what the hell is coming up next? But I, just to finish that thought, I feel like he's going to do some mainstream shit people are going to be really into it and then you're going to get this whole you know i used i liked it before it was cool crowd that's going to be like i loved him when he was doing in fabric no you didn't okay <laughs> you didn't you didn't like barbarian sound system or sound studio either all right because like this, this shit, earlier work. yeah this shit is bonkers 
It's bonkers. So they're trying to have a, a you know a workplace satire here, a, a satire on consumers. Yeah, let me tell you, my, I, I texted Mike after I watched this because my the what I thought the subtext of this movie yeah. was and what it was yeah. about completely unravels by the third act, and I was completely wrong. So he told me what it was actually about. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Best last shot of a movie this year nominee. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so that's worth the price of it. Creepy. It was definitely creepy. My skin was crawling. I was waiting for the jump scare. I, I was I, I was a fan though. It's oh, like yeah. one of those movies like you're glad you watched. You go, you're glad you got through, even though it's bizarre. It's Lynchian too. I know you dropped Argento. I think it very much is influenced by Argento. I think it's Lynchian too because there's pieces of stuff here. And again, even if you don't know really what you're watching, you just want more because you're hoping there's going to be an answer, even though you have that pit in your stomach you know you're not going to figure this shit out on first watch well in 10 years 12 years from now maybe Stricklandian will become a term <laughs> there you go. because that, he's, dude's got talent yeah got talent, absolutely so. uh so we saying you know you can probably skip six underground i think it takes a certain headspace to get into in fabric mm -hmm. or to be able to stick with it but if you do decide to take that dive i think you're going to like what you see even if you may not understand what you're seeing if you like scary dresses, then this is a solid <laughs> hook, Act One, and then yeah, Act Three. I would, I, I like the movie. I, I don't know where I would grade it. Maybe a B minus. I think I. Put yeah, I, I think I was C plus B minus myself. So that's about right. Okay, so I'm gonna get into a few of my things first here. Watchmen. I finished season one. So Damon Lindelof, master of setups and Act Twos. I thought the Act Two was tr phenomenal in this one as well. I binge watched the last four episodes, and unfortunately, Mike. Act three just didn't work for me. Oh, and a Lindelof thing, really? <laughs> it's super ambitious, like points for ambition, but it doesn't. You know, you're gonna put that on his fucking tombstone. Uh, like, <laughs> the leftovers try, trying to solve the meaning of life. I, all right, and the origin of species. He didn't do that. That's all he does. The That's the question he always tries to answer. In this movie, you have just so many promises for spectacle, like otherworldly yeah. spectacle, on the level of Zack Snyder's movie. Like they didn't even come close to that. Like if they put the budget into the last few episodes, like they should have, and just had all the mystery stuff early, maybe it would have worked. But it, they're promising so much this the show needed a bigger budget did you enjoy at least what the ending was i enjoyed it but i got mad at it okay. at the same time so i'm in for season two i mean that's the main thing totally in for season two i love regina king yes we're gonna that be my next question she's gonna be sweeping emmys here or dying to see what she's in for next i don't know i don't know okay. if she'll be sweeping the emmys because there's a lot of great Actresses doing work from Killing Eve, just one of, one of those mm -hmm. shows there, so who knows. Uh, but uh, she, she might get nominated. She should get nominated, is my guess. Okay, so Watchmen we like, even if we're frustrated on it, and we're ready for a second season, even though we're not totally satisfied. Thank you. All uh, right. For the summation, I don't know if you'll be able to sum up this next review. Uh, it was midnight last night, and I was like, should I... Just so we have three things that you we both watch this week. Exactly. That's why I avoided it. So I haven't seen Climax by Gaspar No yet, but you have. All right. I face my fears. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to say. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, Gaspar No. Shame on us both? I don't know. This is the WTF movie of the year, maybe the decade. It's a well-made film. And it's also clear that he's trying to freak you the heck out. But to me, he is also given a middle finger to movie conventions which i respect now it works about half the time like he does these long takes to open the movie the long take didn't work there's two takes in the middle of the movie that are just ridiculous like i can't believe he pulled them off loved them 
And then my biggest takeaway of this entire film is that you have three characters in this movie that basically, when all this shit's going down, when all the horrors are unleashed, they just keep dancing. And I want to be them. I want to be them. That's my biggest takeaway. Like, if I could have the personality not to get into everybody else's drama, not to put myself in harm's way, not to get into all the, you know, the ridiculousness of the everybody else's shit... I can just dance just the whole Whitney night away. Just Whitney Houston your way through oh trauma. Oh, my God. That, so that's worth the price of admission, I would say. But this is, you got to be in a certain kind of headspace to survive this one. This was batshit. Which made you say WTF more? The Strickland uh, red dress killing oh, dress this. movie? No, this, this, this by this, far. This. Wow. hundred times over. Wow. You, you I can't gotta wait. See it. I can't you, wait. You I want to. to. I've, I've wanted to for a long but, time. I just haven't taken the But it's dive. one of those, it's like in fabric where you're you're not expected that, what? Yeah. You're going to be like, you're going to have a what moments <laughs> more often than not. And then it's so gross and then it's so weird. And oh my God, my skin crawls. It, I can't even grade this one. It's like a, it's like grading a cheetah murdering its prey. <laughs> I, I can't grade that. Like, what do I give the cheetah? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I grade this one milk. <laughs> this earns a grade of milk. <laughs> emojis. I just have to yeah invent a bunch of emojis. Like the milk emoji, the poop emoji, the uh, whatever emojis people use. This one's a caterpillar hoe. <laughs> I watched... Uh, li- no way to transition. No. I watched Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice. Something more linear, I would imagine. A lot of... <laughs> Music documentaries have not been getting nominated recently with Rolling Thunder Review and this Which one is for that matter. Completely I don't even know if ironic's the right word, but because we're now embracing as the Academy is all the musical biopics, yeah. we're shutting the musical docs, which I don't know. Musical docs have always been better, in my opinion. No, no offense. Coming to off Amy, bio, the, the Twenty Feet from Stardom, they've recently had their moment in the sun. No, this isn't a great musical doc, but I mean, she's got a fascinating career. I mean, she reinvented herself at the peak of her powers, going to Broadway, which became a Pirates of Penzance musical, and then she also, you know, put out the most popular album in, in Mexico's history. So, I mean, huh. this is. This is an artist that I did not know a lot about. And then, of course, I've been listening to her on Spotify ever since. Just great music. What a voice. I mean, the the movie's called The Sound of My Voice. And what a voice it was. Her rendition of When Will I Be Loved cuts to my soul every time I hear it. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, The Mandalorian, Mike. I watched the newest episode, episode seven, this morning, early this morning. Number one, from episode six, I want to say Baby Yoda is the best behaved <laughs> fantasy baby in the history of real or fictional children. At what point does the worm turn on Baby Yoda? What? Well, that, they, listen. He's, Who is he, getting at <laughs> Baby Yoda? Well, maybe not at maybe Baby you. Yoda, but like at I the, don't even want you to watch this. The movie, obsession this of Baby Yoda. Everybody's on the same page You're, about him. No, there's not even you could turn uh, the worm on Baby Yoda. All right, no way. I'm just I'm putting it out there. I'm just asking the questions. All right, finally, <laughs> we had like a string of five episodes in a row. Where it was just like, all right, here's an adventure. Here's another adventure. Here's another adventure. Inconsequential to the plot that we got in the first episode. Mm. Totally inconsequential. Episode 7, we finally get consequence back to the, what we had in episode and 1. And yet it's still tantalizing enough to stick with, you think? It doesn't bother you that there's not this season-long progression? Well, there's five really fun adventures in okay. there. So it's a serialized adventure story, but it's like almost a procedural. Like, all right, here's a bounty hunter going on a, a new adventure, mm-hmm. and he's got to go get this new bounty. And now we actually had a connection to, all right, Carl, you know, Carl Weathers is back, and we have Apollo Creed again. IMDb recently asked Ryan Johnson, ironically, talking about Knives Out, if it mm-hmm. was a Star Wars spinoff he would like to take 
hold of. And he said, while he respects and he loves the Mandalorian, he thinks he's doing great. He said he's there's still a draw to him from Boba Fett that he would love to just have as its own spinoff world. I don't know what's left to mine out of Boba Fett after this is done yeah. with its run. I mean, not season one, obviously they can do, but they're going to do five, six seasons. Right, right, right. It is the reason everyone right. signed up for Disney. Of Club. course. So those four million subscribers in its first week, it's because of the Mandalorian, and I can't wait for Togo. Don't get me wrong, but the Mandalorian's worth the price of admission. You got to be the only person on earth saying I can't wait for Togo when doing, giving a Mandalorian review. Go ahead, to dust, <laughs> to dust, really quick. Strange, sad, somewhat funny movie with Matthew Broderick on Amazon Prime. It got nominated for best screenplay at the Indie Spirit Awards. Solid B minus all day. It's, a, it's kind of gross because it's dealing with uh, the chemistry of decomposing bodies, so you got to be ready mm. in that headspace. But like I said, it's got a few laughs, and it's a really f- weird buddy comedy about this Jewish man whose wife just died, and uh, he becomes friends with this community college professor, Matthew Broderick. So, huh. strange movie, but I, you know, props for ambition here, and it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Interesting. All right, kind of a, a unique end there. Uh... I guess we could see by skip really quick because I just want to see the uh, where you hold up something that was linear that you didn't like against two things that were kind of bad shit. See okay. by skip six underground in fabric and climax by Gaspar. No, skip six underground. <laughs> wow, you're gonna rewatch climax? <laughs> you did. You I didn't even listen to. The I know you did. I know you did. I guess I would rewatch Climax if I could watch you watching Climax. Like I want to oh, put fair. headphones. Yeah. In. Like I would put headphones in. I would totally cheat this whole operation here. I would watch you watching Climax and just be able to look at the screen with headphones in, listening to a beautiful podcast from one of our friends. And that's how I would rewatch Cli- Climax and get out of this ridiculous thing. I, w- I would buy in fabric. Okay, interesting. Um, as far as what I watched, I wanted to highlight. I forgot to highlight last MMOW. Survivor, I've been giving you updates on about this guy, this Hollywood agent, yeah. Dan. Yeah. He was inappropriately touching. He it came to a head at one of the tribal councils. The whole tribe kind of turned on the accuser and not the accusee and sent her home and he got to stay and blah, blah, blah. Last week, it came to a head. The episode happened. Mm-hmm. They had someone voted off. The last two minutes of the show, Jeff Probst came back to the tribe and told everyone... Dan has been sent home. He's not going to be part of the game anymore. He's not part of the jury. He's not part of anything. And we had a black screen that said Dan was sent home after another incident involving oh my God. Uh, somebody involved with the game that wasn't a player. I don't know what happened. I'm hoping we get, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. I can't wait to hear. I'm hoping there's something on Survivor today. But apparently from what I gleaned online is that this guy did something to one of the producers of the show too. On top of having this inappropriate touching with. Ugh. It's bizarre. It's gross. I stand by, again, everybody kind of turned against the accuser, like I said. If somebody is brave enough to speak up, just listen to them right. and, like, believe them. And that didn't happen here. This is It's become such a microcosm of the bigger issue from the where the Me Too movement emanates from in Hollywood. Yes. I think it's really a fascinating... I mean, I know it's more than a case study. I don't mean to belittle it or marginalize it in any way. But it really is just kind of a, an apples-to-apples apples comparison or an apples-to-bushel-of-apples comparison about what happens at large in these situations. I think a lot of people can learn a lot of things from this. Uh, it, it's worth keeping an eye on is where I'll stand on that. But I just wanted to give that kind of update and Survivors on tonight. We're going to get more, hopefully, a more fleshed-out explanation of what happened. But... When somebody says something, fucking listen to them. That's where I land on it. I agree. Um, Okay. That was one. Two, 
I watched The Confession Killers on uh, on Netflix. I haven't gotten through it yet. Mm-hmm. Bizarre story, man. So the, what what is The Confession it's Killers? A guy who basically probably killed at least one person. Ugh. Okay, and he admits to the law enforcement just about all these different murders. And he admitted to like over a hundred and some odd murders throughout the country back in like the seventies. And it got to the point where law enforcement from the area were going to him just to basically close cases and attribute his deed to having killed these people that they didn't have murders for. Except that if you look at the facts of the case, and it's really interesting how on the heels of Rich, something like Richard Jewell we just watched, where you look at the facts of the case, you realize it's impossible for him to have actually been the murderer in some of oh these. And he was just like taking credit for it because he liked the notoriety and the fame. And you see him meeting with Chinese consulates who come and want to documentarize him and talk to him and pick his brain. And he's getting he's getting in close with this woman who's supposed to be his pastor. And bizarre i i'm interested to see how it ends i've been kind of working through it it's only four or five episodes i think i did three already so but it's really gross our system's broken (laughs) in a lot of ways our justice system is not very uh great i would say and having seen it from the inside i can attest to that um (laughs) go listen to my marriage story rant from orc (laughs) but this is unique i think it's something worth exploring as well uh, just bizarre i don't know what to do with these situations and i don't know how any one person can make a change but something should be done somebody should be pissed off enough about this that we should kind of get something going and, and force momentum against this because if our police are in the situation where they're so desperate to close cases that they're willing to accept the word of somebody over like what the facts of the case present yeah i don't know that's a problem probably a problem <laughs> i agree with you then netflix documentaries they're probably, you know, giving us a lot of problems. Yeah, uh, you know, shining the light on some things. A lot of problems. Yeah, oh my God. I watched the Schmodown spectacular again. I talk about Schmodown a lot on this episode. William Bibiani had to fight three times in a movie trivia. It was awesome <laughs> to watch him do that. He's the man. They do a great job. Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, they take it on the road. They're doing live shows now. They've really built up this thing. It's like a six-hour thing. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I had it on the background as I was preparing this episode, but it's great background fodder. If you're a fan of movie trivia, I do suggest you go check it out just because they do a really good job of building up characters. You get to know people that you otherwise wouldn't that are really in the industry. Ken Knapsack, that's why we had him on this show, yeah. frankly, because I only know him first and foremost through the movie of Trivia Showdown. Um, we're hoping to get Mr. Bibiani at some point tier two. We've been in talks with him. So uh, it's just kind of cool to see them develop characters and really take this pro wrestling angle on something that's movie trivia. I mean, we all love movie trivia. That's why we're in this space for one point or another. And some of us really love pro wrestling. I did want to ask you, because I haven't heard, <laughs> what's the pro wrestling update in a nutshell? Like, 30 seconds. Uh, what's pro wrestling? The state of pro wrestling right now. Bad. <laughs> you don't even need 30 it's seconds. Bad. WWE is bad. It's, it's WWE kind of gets a new life every year mm-hmm. when you start the new year because the Royal Rumble is one of their big events and it leads up to WrestleMania, which is their biggest show, obviously. Yep. Everyone knows that. So that's coming up. So you hope that you get kind of a revitalization. AEW, I know it has a lot of fans. That's the other thing that's going on. I'm not crazy about it. Mm. I think some of their stuff is kind of lowbrow and kind of indie-rific, and I'm sure if there's hardcore fans out there, they're going to yell at me for saying that. It, it, I'm a fan of like, the comedy acts like Orange Cassidy and stuff like that, but there's some stuff that just doesn't work for me, even though they do do a good job with the actual wrestling and in-ring technique. But, yeah, not, not good. <laughs> wow, I'm shocked to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. The question I have, Michael, mm. because what I've been going back to most often as we're a mere 75 minutes into the intro uh, section of this episode. <laughs> is The Office the perfect binge show? 
Apparently, because how many times have you binged it? Like four or five throughout. Like, and I'm, I just yeah. I put it on, and my brain just shuts off, and I laugh at the same stupid jokes I laughed at a billion times before. And I'm watching, I'm anticipating the same stupid setups and payoffs I've seen a billion times before. Is it, is it like have they figured out some for? Is it perfect? Everybody watches it, right? I've seen most of it. I don't think I've seen. You've all never of it, sat down and just like binged through the, the whole office. Office. I've seen a lot of it. Oh man, it's so good. I don't know what it is. I was choosing between Parks and Rec and The Office. I wound up. That's the other one. Yeah, but, but it's like one of those two, and it's something with Michael Schur, who's who's been the showrunner for both of those. And yeah. I think Greg Daniels is, is the producer of The Office. I don't know if he had anything to do with Parks and Rec. They figured out some kind of formula. Maybe it's the the fourth wall breaking, where you're talking directly to the camera, and you mm-hmm. want to you think mm-hmm. that gets you insight into characters that aren't actually people. I don't know, but there's something up to that. So uh, that's been my watching. Uh, A lot of retreads, a lot of problems with the criminal justice system. I think The Office is like everybody's backup binge watch, or some people's backup binge watch. It's it's like a default. I just saw like South Park, they said something like 600 million minutes of South Park was watched last month or whatever. That's why we paid. Whatever, it's ridiculous how how many people are watching. It's like a dollar a minute they pay. But if you think about our own watching, we always got something that we're just kind of getting through and put on in the background. Like, for me, it was 30 Rock, then Parks and Rec, then uh, it was Frasier, which I'm embarrassed about. <laughs> Frasier's now, a good show. And now it's been Friends. Like, I'll just, if I have nothing else, all right, I'll put right. on Friends and yeah. I'll watch four of them. They figured it out. Something about NBC, in that golden age of comedy yeah. that ended when The Office and Parks and Rec went off the air. Definitely. They, they figured out something that's gotten into our heads that we as humans are pre-programmed to appreciate and just sit through mindlessly. While the government does nefarious things in the backgrounds, I think this is all a conspiracy. I'm figuring it out as I talk here. Let's move on to some audience interaction stuff, Mike. Daisy Ridley to Andrew Lloyd Webber. We got a couple efficiency awards. Merck with a movie blog at Movie Blog. Merck said, easy way to go. Daisy Ridley's new movie, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Premiered yesterday alongside Cats, which is an adaptation of Weber's musical. We're going to review both, and I said to Mike right before I hit record, there's now a possibility. What happens in the world in which I like Cats legitimately more than the new Star Wars movie? What do we do? Do we stop? Is that it? I think we have had a weird year. Because Hit Chapter 2 we didn't love, and we loved many more horror movies that came out around that. Yeah, it's just, good it's point. just a strange year. It like some been. of these, you know, high, you know, promises that we got from sequels, we thought were going to be great. I'm stealing myself to just like enjoy the movie. Take somewhat. what you can out of it, yeah. But movie blog, Merc. This is why we do the six degrees of MMO this way. We kind of connect to you know. People What's coming out? Yeah, yeah. We, we do this. So he he nailed it. Uh, the Jim Reaper said Ridley to Dench to Weber, Murder on the Orient Express, and Cats were the two connections. Bang, I bing, bang, boom. I have to see more the new Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, you still haven't? I have, still have not seen yeah, it's it. Fun. And and uh, John Gabris is describing as a weird Johnny Depp kind of turned me off to it as well. So <laughs> there's a weird Johnny Depp, but hint, hint, hint. Something may happen to him. Ah. It's early act one. He's murdered on the Orient Express, I take it. I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> uh, Tony81, TD here, fan of the show and friend of ours, uh, at 
Toe, T-O-E, K-N-E-E-D-8-1. Daisy Ridley was in Murder on the Orient Express, go figure, with Josh Gad, who was in a crosswalk musical on James Corden featuring Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals for his 70th birthday <laughs> last year. I appreciate the obscure reference. Yes. I also appreciate the Daisy Ridley, the Josh Gad connection. Josh Gad has had a running joke on his Instagram mm. about like trapping Daisy Ridley on set in corners and places <laughs> and forcing her to tell him stuff about what's going to happen next in Star Wars. It's been very funny. Uh, I highly recommend you go seek it out to all of you. And damn it, that snowman was funny. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Bill Brasky at Bill Brasky 2620 Daisy Ridley is the voice of Cottontail in Peter Rabbit starring James Corden as the title character Corden is in Cats, of course, which was created by Dame Sir Lloyd Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's a lot of prefixes. Couple uh, Ridley to Corden connections there. Okay, so Rob Rosenberg at Keepin underscore Current, Paul Britter at Brutal Tripe, and Ken Murray at Murray Maker. Oh, one more. Alex McCollum at Alex McCollum 1. They all said Daisy Ridley was in the 2017 remake of Murder on the Orient Express with Judy Dench, who is in the film adaptation of Cats, a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. All four of them got that efficiency award. It's bizarre that there's so many easy connections between Daisy Ridley to Andrew Lloyd Webber only through Corden and only through Murder on the... Like, it's not that there's just one. There's a, diff- a bunch of different avenues you can go to get there, but it's still the same number of efficiency award steps. So good oh, for I all these people. I guess that's five of them. I think I mentioned that twice. Oh, so the Jim Reaper did that, but he did it much more efficiently, folks. That's why he got his own answer. I see. He did it in, like, you know, 100 characters. Not even. It's 30 characters. I don't count. I have no <laughs> conception of numbers, folks. Mike, please save me. Swap thing. Wojciech uh, Weishar, our buddy there. Daisy Ridley is allergic to cats, which unfortunately is also the title of the musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yes, good job there. I have no idea if that's true, but now it is. I'm going to like register that as fact in my head. He great also, job, Wojciech. He also wrote a great long one, but that one made me laugh so hard, so we, we, we used that one. The Sinatra Award. Why? Because he did it his way. He did it. Go ahead. Jordan Beck, which I guess is the alias for Dr. Understore Magnifico. I love when he's in these. We finally know who he is. All right. Or or who we think. Well, there's an easy way to do this. Then there's my way, he says. Daisy Ridley is in The Last Jedi with production designer Rick Heinrichs. Great job. uh, Who did Fargo's production design in 1996 with Harv Presnell. If I ever get my name changed, I'm going to change it to Harv. (laughs) Who's in Paint Your Wagon with Gene Seberg. We have the Seberg movie coming out. Harv Seberg. Who's in Lilith with Warren Beatty. Who's in Dick Tracy with Madonna. Who's in Evita by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Are you surprised at this point with nostalgia and remakes being what they are that we haven't had the Dick Tracy remake? I thought you said we haven't had the Evita remake. Or the Evita remake. But no, seriously, Dick Tracy seems ripe for somebody to swoop in, give $170 million to, and say, go do it. We're getting a musical every Christmas season. We're going to get a, that musical one of these Christmas seasons. And then Dick Tracy, if we're getting a whodunit. Was that a whodunit? I don't remember. It was like an act. I always, in my mind, it was always like the more serious version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I had a Dick Tracy phase because I was hanging Everybody out did. with my grandma. And I had all the action figures. Yes. My grandmother loved it as a kid and that's why and I remember like there was a she, big like, promotion the figures. this is this is the fat kid coming out there was a big promotion with <laughs> McDonald's and I remember like collecting the right. Dick Tracy toys from the Happy Meals of McDonald's those toys were awesome yeah I don't know why somebody's gotta get on this Andrew Lloyd Webber go figure it out uh, yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> the Way Way Back Award, Simon the Depressed Movie Goer, at Depressed Movie, Daisy Ridley, went to Tring Park School, which also has such alumni as Sarah Brightman, who was probably Lloyd Webber's most famous leading lady, as Christine in Phantom of the Opera. How about that? A little knowledge dropped on your head. They went way, way back yeah. to Daisy Ridley in school. I like that. Loved it. The Anthony Award, or as we Italians pronounce it, the Anthony. <laughs> Thank you. In other words, it's not quite a Tony, but there's a lot of theatrical greatness here. Boo! <laughs> Oliver Heatherington Page at a twist of Oliver. Daisy Ridley sang at the ballet with Anne Hathaway and Barbara Streisand, if I could say her word. Babs. On the album Encore, Anne Hathaway and Barbara Streisand both won Oscars for musicals Les Miserables and Funny Girl. That checks out. Who also won an Oscar for a musical... Question mark, if I can get my pronunciations <laughs> correct, Catherine Zeta-Jones for Chicago. Yeah. All right, Catherine Zeta-Jones was in a non-musical film, The Mask of Zorro, with Antonio Banderas. What a heartthrob. Antonio Banderas was nominated for a Tony Award for his performance in the musical Nine, which was later turned into a film by Rob Marshall. That's true. Rob Marshall co-directed the Broadway revival of Cabaret with Sam Mendes. Hmm. Mendes made his theater directorial debut with Stephen Sondheim's Assassin, Stephen Sondheim shares a birthday with fellow musical theater composer compose or composer Andrew Lloyd Webber March 22nd what a great job that is by Oliver there all those musicals being I see why he gave it the theatrical Award. I, I take back my boo that's a great job greatness great job by him awesome all the right ending. A uh, few of my favorite things award goes to Nolan Saves Christmas at Nolan Roberts 17. Daisy Ridley provided voice work for the video game Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens. Another example of a film actor voicing their character in a Lego video game is Clark Gregg in Lego Marvel Superheroes, which has dozens of cameos from Stan Lee, who had a cameo in Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement starring Julie Andrews. Of all the cameos to use, <laughs> and he, there's a lot of cameos to use. I'm surprised more people don't do it, but he used the Princess Diaries 2. Great job. <laughs> Julie Andrews lost her lead role in My Fair Lady to Audrey Hepburn, who is one of 15 people to win an Oscar, Emmy, Tony, and Grammy. We call that egotting. Another person to have done so is, of course, Andrew Lloyd Webber. So these are, are a few of our favorite things. Because EGOT, Audrey Hepburn, Stan Lee this cameos. This is royalty. Clark yeah. Gregg's, Legos, and Star Wars, and MCU. Uh, just great job. It's royalty and Clark Gregg. <laughs> No offense, Mr. Greg. I don't know that you're on the level of Audrey Hepburn and Andrew Lloyd Webber, but great job over there, overall there by Nolan. Theme of the week from Dark Nook is also our winner. Yes. And uh, at Dark Nook Shop is where you go for these. So let's add a degree of difficulty, he says, into this one. Must include links to every film version of Catwoman. Oh, my God. Okay. Andrew Lloyd Webber's cat stars Judy Dench. Dench is in The Murder on the Orient Express with Michelle Pfeiffer. Here we go. Right. Pfeiffer was in Batman Returns as Catwoman. I think so. Pfeiffer was also in New Year's Eve, as was everybody with Halle Berry. Mm -hmm. Berry was in Catwoman. Here we go again. Berry was in Catwoman as Catwoman. Unfortunately. All right. Cats also stars Taylor Swift. Swift voiced Audrey in The Lorax with Jenny Slate. Slate did the voice of Harley Quinn in the Lego Batman movie with Zoe Kravitz. Who played Catwoman? Cat, uh, Kravitz will also star as Catwoman in the upcoming Batman. Oh, wow. All right, going back to Cats again. Cats also stars Sir Ian McKellen, who is an X-Men with Patrick Stewart. Stewart voices Captain Picard in the Family Guy parody of Return of the Jedi, that episode, It's a Trap, which also fe featured a voice by Anne Hathaway. My God, I can't believe this. This is amazing. Hathaway played Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises. 
That same episode of Family Guy features the voice of Adam West. Wes, of course, starred in 1966's Batman movie with Lee Merriweather as Catwoman. That same episode of Family Guy also featured a voice by Carrie Fisher, who was in the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker with Daisy Ridley. Mike, Holy he basically shit. used the same middle, but he like he replayed the middle. Like, he gave us the Knives Out Act 1, re-flashback to the same scene over and over and over again. Like, he could have made this an efficiency award, in, but he didn't. In terms of writing, his thesis sentence at the start of every paragraph was the link that goes to each one. It's just that he had a diatribe and a tangent underneath each thesis statement that went in an opposite direction. That Incredible. is a fantastic job. A very worthy win this week by Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop, who I know has won previously. Uh, you are the winner, and of all things Bracken writes Six Degrees of MMO related this week, I think we started a chair last week we had a sled obviously and i don't think we've propelled it into space yet have we i think we have it on the ground still it's still yeah. on the ground you and i are dressed as elves i remember there are to there's togo and then there's the dog from okay the wild right uh, that's right they're fighting directions. opposite directions so this is going nowhere it's going nowhere they're 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 running so hard though and digging at the ground that instead of going up into space we're going down people we're going into the earth with this one led by togo and the dog from call of the wild it's okay though because it's a cold sled it's made for snow so it can handle a little heat as we go past the Earth's crust and get down a little deeper. These dogs are so damn powerful, <laughs> and now we're going downward into Hades? Yeah. At, at some point, we're probably going to fall into the center of the Earth. So exactly. Be, there's a teaser for the next right. episode. <laughs> Just as all Christmas stories end up. So that's your win this week, Dark Nook. Congratulations. Uh, thank you once again to everybody who has participated. Mike, let's give them a new challenge for next week. Okay, so we got a, a bunch of cool movies that we're about to preview in a few minutes. Uh, of course, Little Women from Greta Gerwig is coming out. Never heard of it. One of the standout performances is apparently Florence Pugh. Can't and wait to see that. We loved her career thus far. Great 2019, so we're, too. We're going to go from Florence Pugh, who's an up-and-comer, is going to win a million Oscars in her career, yeah. I prophesy. Another up-and-comer who's going to win a million Oscars, the way it's looking, is Aldous Hodge, who's going to be in clemency with Alfre Woodard. So we're going to go contemporary to contemporary. So it may, there may be an easy connection, but again, this is based on creativity to see who wins. Florence Pugh to Aldous Hodge. That's your challenge. Yeah, and both have, have landed nomination at some major precursors, yes. too. So that's nice to see a little getting into the awards spirit. Uh, certainly, as Florence Pugh to Aldous Hodge, that's your matchup, like Mike just told you. Let's move on to a box office update, Michael. Uh, Jumanji, the next level, made $60 million in its opening weekend. It also made 153 overseas for a first weekend haul of $216 million. Yeah, and I don't know anyone can be surprised by this. It needed just four days about to break the $200 million mark worldwide. Uh, it's six. $60 million plus easily knocks off Frozen 2's Reign of Terror, tops the box office. Frozen 2 was the leader the last three weeks. The first installment of Jumanji, I was fascinated by this, didn't take over number one at the box office until its third full week in theaters. Oh, wow. And it actually jumped. It made $16 million plus the week before Christmas. It took in over $102 million the week of Christmas. So a that's a massive jump. Testament to the domestic box office over the holiday season. And I want to talk about the domestic box office because the first movie, Welcome to the Jungle, was a huge yeah. domestic success. Here we have, you know, the next level doing a third of the box office that it did overseas in its opening weekend. Yeah. Is this transitioning more into something that's going to be an international hit as a franchise if it's doing three to one box office or is it going to make it all this up during the vacation? It seems like right now what's going on internationally is any American film that relies heavily on 
great. A major studio FX, mm -hmm. I'll mm -hmm. say, uh, does very well for itself overseas. So well, this one has that. I would think it's going to do well. Strategically, I think they bumped all their, you know, their platform release, probably what they did last time. They bumped all that up to uh, the first weekend where they released it around the world. Right, all right, right, right. So that makes some sense. So uh, the only question is, last one, the first installment, ended up doing $962 million worldwide, just shy of a billion. Is this one going to break the $1 billion mark? Sony, this is another release of theirs. They've had a fantastic 2019. We've talked about that previously. Great for Sony. And number two was Frozen 2 with $19.2 That is now up over a billion dollars at $1.035 billion worldwide. And it's one of those... Disney movies passing a billion in, in, in 2019, Mike. We may get one more because Star Wars, if it does close to that 500 million this weekend, may in fact get the close, you know, close to one billion before the new year. Yeah, we're gonna say things about Star Wars um, and about the initial reactions to them. It doesn't matter because this film is still tracking to do extremely well at the box office. It's going to be a box office smash, whether or not it's a critical success or actually pleases people is another story. But I don't know that that matters because the money's gonna be there, and we know how much Disney likes their greenbacks. <laughs> Go ahead, tell me I'm wrong, Mike. <laughs> I just, like, my brain is short-circuiting because it's a Star Wars movie, a major Star Wars yeah. movie, that's getting 50%. That hasn't happened since the prequels, and I don't know what to think about it. I'm really worried, but I'm also, like, weirdly fascinated by it. Yeah, it's it's unique. This is an interesting thing that we're on the verge of here. It's a movie event, truly. Yeah. All right, Knives Out was in third with 9.3. It's up to 163 worldwide. Love that. Richard Jewell did not do well on its opening weekend, only $5 million. Getting a ton of flack for being Clint Eastwood. Eastwood's lowest film debut since 1980's Billy Bronco, but Rebecca Rubin was on this for Variety. She makes the point as well. I don't know that I'd bury it yet because it's an appealing story, obviously. The Mule last year opened a little disappointing, too, at 17 million debut. It hung around long enough and made enough enough noise in the award circles where it ended up doing over 100 million domestically. I don't think this is going to do those numbers, obviously, but if it can even do half that domestically, if it can get yeah. to like 40 to 50 million, it's probably going to break even, which is probably going to be a win for it. I think its budget was only 40 million in and of itself. So fingers crossed. We both liked it. We were both high on it. WB's having a tough year, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I like the movie as well. I think there's good goods delivered. Go see it over the holiday Absolutely. break. Black Christmas also bombed 4.4 million in its opening weekend after a few more days into the week now. Really weird story overall for Black Christmas. It's quite polarizing. Maybe the most polarizing horror film of 2019. Did, though, right? Yeah, I don't. It's not a who done it. <sighs> Maybe the way they pull it off, because it's, they apparently they wrote the ending differently from what it has previously been. Okay. Um, but I've also seen, you're right, it's been a bomb in every sense of the word. 3.2 IMDb score, 29% Rotten Tomatoes. But I've also seen people be like, this movie helped me cope with something. Huh. It helped me. I, I, it's very polarizing. It's a word I'll keep saying and repeating. I've seen people speak glowingly about what it did for them. And I've seen people be like, I had to leave the theater. I couldn't stand watching it. Oh, I'm glad you're making mention of that because I would not have looked to go to this movie at all. And maybe now I'll, I'll catch it. I'll add it to a double feature if I can. On my A-list, Mike, we had a couple more soft openings, though. Yeah, two awards contenders had limited runs this this week, Uncut Gems opened on five screens and Bombshell opened on four. The former Uncut Gems did 107,000 per screen average. So uh, when you say soft, you mean platinum?
platform releases, but that, that's a pretty good number, no? 107 is a very good number. Bombshell itself did 79. Comparison, Bombshell. Jojo Rabbit opened at just under 70,000 per screen on five screens when it okay. opened. Bombshell did better than that. Honey Boy did just over 75,000 on four screens when it opened. Bombshell did better than that per screen average. Uncut Gems. Nobody's talking about this. Yeah. If it wasn't for Parasite in mid-October, which had all, it was right in the coattails of all its overseas success, people couldn't wait to see it. It made a lot of awards noise. I think it did 120, 130,000 per screen, something like that. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for Parasite, Uncut Gems would be the highest per screen average opening since La La Land's earth-shattering 2016 opening of 176,000 wow. per screen. And nobody's talking about it. It doesn't get near the excitement or momentum that Parasite got. People want to see this movie. I understand it's niche. I understand people are maybe hit or miss with Adam Sandler. Maybe it's a New York-centric or a city-centric movie. I don't know, but that's a big number. <laughs> 107,000 per. That's a surprising number, and uh, we can't wait to see it. We'll, we'll have to review it in some yeah. way, shape, or form, no matter what. All right. Let's start talking about some Star Wars here. Uh, like I said, it's it's eyeing a $450 million global box office opening weekend, according to Deadline. They usually lowball that, so that's why I said it might get towards a half a billion. But you got some scores right now, Mike. Got one big one. <laughs> Look, we tell you, don't live and die by the tomato meter. But it's, it's you know, just let you know how critics are weighing in right now. 56% on Rotten Tomatoes on 130-some-odd reviews from critics. The second lowest-rated Star Wars episode ever. Episode 1 is the low man, so this is the second lowest-rated of the nine episodes in the entry. Episode 2 should have been the low man. I, can't, I could not believe Episode 2 wasn't the lowest-rated. <laughs> episode 2 was almost fresh. It was like 60-something percent. Uh, this right now is not good. JJ, what have you done... We're going to be talking more about the first reactions to Star Wars very soon. I just have grunts and groans as re in response to you. I, I don't have anything to say. I'm just so worried. I've been laughing maniacally throughout this. I'll tell you why when we get to it. Let's talk about trailer thoughts first. Trailer thoughts! Handful of some intriguing trailers debuting this week, Michael. Yeah, Quiet Place 2, which is has a premise. You're going to, you know recite all these really cool premises that you wrote down the premise is that it's a quiet place too <laughs> very good job the premise is what happens when you make noise in a quiet place right i mean we give it this 20 second look at this trailer emily blunt is with the kids again her foot's still wrapped so it has to be soon after the yeah. events of quiet place one and she's about to take a step outside the sand path I love the sand path. I thought that was a really fun gimmick that was, it just had all these implications in the first movie. And she's about to stay, take his foot off the sand path, and you're like, okay, I need to see the second part of this. Yeah, and every her she looks back at her daughter, her daughter who was magnificent in the first one, by the yeah. way. Her daughter says, yes, it's the right thing to do, and I don't know what the hell's going on. Don't take a step outside. There's a branch there. <laughs> Noah Jupe's been getting his reps lately. Yeah. He's a better actor, I think, than he, what he was in A Quiet Place 1. I didn't love him in A Quiet Place 1. I, I'm hard on kids Yeah. in terms of you know child actors that. ruining movies. That's a, that's a bad drop. In terms of child actors <laughs> ruining movies, I, uh, I, I I am harsh with kids. There you go. That's better. That's worse. You want to say hard on and kids so next to each other. Yeah. You know, that's just asking for it. You can edit. Yeah, I will. You won't. But to your detriment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so th that's a Quiet Place 2 teaser. Yeah. Not, not a lot to say there. Top Gun Maverick. The premise, I have the need. The need to see another 50-plus-year-old leading man reach into the Wayback Machine to sell us once more that 50 is the new 30 in Hollywood. Now with more Scientology. So this is another sea quake, right? I mean, we're basically going to get the plot of Top Gun 
Once again, yes. 30 years into the future this with new characters. Creed, yeah. Right down to the flex before the serve. Yeah, I right? think so. I, the way, you know, the way this trailer was shot, we start with snowy mountain caps and it looks like it was big, beautiful. It's almost as if Tom Cruise finished the last scene of Mission Impossible Fallout and looked around. It was just like, let's just shoot here. Let's also, let's just stay here. <laughs> yeah. I got the planes already. Right, exactly. We're all here. <laughs> let's, just, let's just root it back up. Uh, we got Miles Teller. Playing someone who can't get along in a group, so that's new. So that goose mustache ain't looking good here, Michael. <laughs> and but I mean, I love that goose mustache here, Michael. But you know, it's a choice. <laughs> yes, certainly. Uh, a little painful. Now, to me, it was a little painful at how desperately obvious they are to have this set up a Top Gun cinematic. Look at this young uh, actor that you know. Uh, Look at this young actor that you know. This is they're they want this to be a success so they can have spinoffs. Now, I'm not gonna lie, seeing Tom Cruise be so Swarmy with his superiors is still kind of worth it there. I agree. Like they're called I agree. orders, Tom. Mm-hmm. I don't even know his name. They're, they're, Tom. They're, <laughs> it's just Tom. They're called orders. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, but uh, if he was that way in real life, though, oh, God, I got to stop myself. I'm not a squirrel. I'm not a squirrel. Leave me alone. I'll just leave it there. Did my doorbell just ring? Yeah. <laughs> Onward, Mike, trailer three or four, if you count the teaser. We love this. Yeah. Show. Premise, we had one trailer focusing on the magical fairy tale aspect, another concentrating on the fun and games road trip aspect. So how about a third trailer framing the Pixar latest as a race against the clock adventure? All right. Before I watched this and just read your snarky pres- uh, premise that wasn't happy enough for my take. <laughs> okay. I'm very mad at you. I'm sorry. I'm almost worried that you're getting sick of this already. I might have been getting sick of this already because I'm feeling like this number of trailers is very dark, fady. That's how I feel. But here's the thing, Mike. We watched this trailer, and I'm even more stoked to see this movie. Am I wrong to say this is my most anticipated film of 2020 no, so far? No, not at, at all. least uh, you know in quarter one. I mean, did we do the Pixar rewatch in the wrong year? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it does look great. Uh, are we ever going to get sick of how beautiful Pixar can make landscapes look? I quibble with you, sir, because epic fantasy is always beautiful. Jesus That's why us nerds go so insane over it. You get beautiful landscapes and everyone. That's a trope. That's the goods you have to deliver for for it to be epic fantasy. I quibble. Fine. (laughs) To get back to the original point, though, yes, we are wowed by this. Yes, we are very anticipatory of it. But we're not given... I mean, the same joke has been in three straight trailers now. Mm -hmm. We're not given Mm -hmm. a whole lot new in this trailer. Well... Well, excuse me, though. Excuse me. <laughs> yes, sir. Because now we get that mom played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I don't know if there's been a lot of trailers for this. It's almost like I've seen the whole movie already. Yeah. So maybe we've seen this before and this is not new to you. But now we get a buddy road trip between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Octavia Spencer's characters. And we know that they're going to break cliches from every 80s movie parent in the history of 80 movie, movie road trip movies, especially teen romps, where... These parents, these moms, or the, the mom and the friend, are going to save the day because Pixar is wise, Michael. They all know that teenagers are fucking idiots. They can't be trusted to go to the grocery store. Never mind save their half of a father from a ticking clock. I love this. It's genius. We should all take the moms to see this one, Michael. And then we should all rewatch Game of Thrones. What do you say? Uh, I was in, in with you until that last part. Uh, we've been clamoring for more Julia Louis-Dreyfus voiceover work since her work in A Bug's Life, which we did during the Pixar rewatch series. She was phenomenal in that. I think the Octavia Spencer, I, I give you credit, I think yeah. that is new to this trailer. That is something that's a, that's a new the aspect. The so, character. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, I'm in. I'm totally in. I'm with you. I cannot wait to see this movie. 
Saint Maud, Mike from A24. The premise: A24 tries to prove it can go horror without Ari Aster or Robert Eggers by debuting the first film of Rose Glass about a creepy nurse with an even creepier obsession. I think I speak for both of us when I say, "Hey, A24, we will work for you in a heartbeat for nothing." Yes. Seriously. Well, we're doing that now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just take a beautiful moment to celebrate this studio. They are making one fascinating film after the next. They're making profits. They're patroning new and vibrant voices in cinema. This looks incredible and terrifying and important and relatable, and they're helping me deal with my religious baggage while also terrifying me to the point where all my memories about my religious baggage are coming up. Again, are you it's having help- like a Jacob's Ladder type flashback? With Absolutely, this? Yeah. and it's they're accomplishing all of this in one trailer. Never mind the movie that we're about to see. Uh, and the score, I don't think, could be overlooked either. I. As soon as I or any human being on Earth heard Billie Eilish for the first time, I think one of our first four thoughts had to be, this is going to be in every creepy horror movie or television show preview for years to come. Her music is tailor-made for this. All the good girls go to hell is used, I think, perfectly here. I'm surprised Billie Eilish isn't even more stuff, although she has been for Q4 of 2019. She's been in the Bombshell trailer with her music. She's now in St. Maud, which is going to be a big one with her music. Uh, I think that's just merits mentioning there. I thought it was Lord, but that just makes me old. No, but there's I'm, there, there's similarities. I'm, I'm yeah, glad, I'm glad that works. Uh, I love Lord, and I'm gonna have to go back and, and go back. I guess. But feeling to... good on a Tuesday? Was it Tuesday? Wednesday? What was that the South Park parody there? That's true. The, the Lord <laughs> South Park parody almost ruined it for me. But yeah. I'm gonna have to listen to some Billie Eilish, I guess, because I, I love that kind of music. While we're in lockstep about the music, you understood this more than I did. This is a current day nurse, I guess, in a hospice somewhere. Then uh, why isn't anyone talking about her Puritan level clothing every day? I mean, she's. If you were a current day nurse yeah. wearing that, you'd be like, "Hey, but I don't know. There's dresses that exist." What a weird character, though. It's like one of those fantastic characters that you get a, a ton of dimensions on. Like yeah. you get a ton of dimensions on her, and it, she's a weird burka wearing character in a hospice. You're not expecting that attire there, right? She's a religious zealot in the craziest sense of the word. Who's also like truly a Christian because she's helping people dying in a hospice like scenario, but she's also a wackadoo. She's harming herself like the the monk in the Da Vinci Code. Gross. This is equal parts psychological thriller and horror. Another mixture that A twenty four has just been crushing so wonderfully before. I, I'm in. Yeah, I, like I said, I didn't really understand the premise of what was going on. I knew we had a nurse. I knew she was harming herself. That's very blatant. But I, I had to go to IMDb. What we have for a premise that IMDb says follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. So, like Mike has just told you, we're in like this hospice situation. This kind of maybe we're getting the darker version of what dr sleep would be if we never left the hospital that he danny ends up working in yeah you know that's that's, that's a really cool way to put it uh, she's not so pious that she won't have a beer with friends <laughs> but oh no it's a whirlpool tornado beer but that's my point she's so cool. hanging out with contemporary age kids and still wearing this like dimensions mike <laughs> dimensions to the character. I don't want to come off as like I'm talking bad about anyone's like religious clothing or anything because that's not my intent. It's just that if you're a teenager wearing this, you'd think there's something going on with this. This person probably talks to the dead. (laughs) I think they know that one, you and I, will make you know, uh, surface level judgments based on her clothes <laughs> because everybody does. So right. that, it's a creative twist. I mean, she's just going to have a normal beer with friends. <laughs> it's a tornado beer. I thought that was brilliant. Very good. Let's move on to the next one. Emma, trailer two. The premise. Who exactly needs a second trailer for this? We've done this already. 
Anyway. I don't like your tone. Foppy British period piece. Anya <laughs> Taylor-Joy. Jane Austen adaptation. We've we've been here. The word fop is in this trailer. <laughs> I will have you know. All right. But what a showcase this trailer was for two of my absolute favorite young actors out there in Mia Goth and ATJ. I mean, Goth in particular is playing for so many laughs here. Is saying the exact opposite of how she's feeling. Yes. And, of course, she can't hide what she's feeling. So her face is, is saying the opposite of what she's saying. Young Hello. Hollywood is in great hands with oh. both of them. Anya Taylor-Joy especially for me. I think she's going to be a super duper star. She could pull off, you know, broody psycho killer, which we've seen <laughs> as much as she can pull off Jane Austen titular character here. Well, I love her character immediately because it's clear that she's in love with the guy who proposed to Goth, right. but she's not stopping there. She's going to play matchmaker for Goth and set her up with someone who's better suited for her. Like, she's a great match- matchmaker, and of course it's going to go awry, <laughs> and there we get 18th century or whatever, 14th century, whatever. Mom, tell me when this was set. <laughs> But we're going to get this wild setting where it's all going to go wrong. Yeah, we know I'm not the biggest period piece guy in the world, but there's a line in here about sampling the tart that got me to guffaw out loud. Miranda Hart. She's hilarious in everything she's ever done. She's hilarious in Paul Fake Spy. But Bill Nye, too. I mean, just put a camera on that man's face and yeah. make you laugh. I mean, they're, they're hilarious in every single cutaway. I'm just hoping that we get this you know, screwball comedy pacing to the film that's hearkening to what we see here uh, when we actually see the movie. Because I'm I'm worried that it's just going to be a slow burner. Like right. A lot of Jane Austen right. movies that have bored me in the past. That's my fear with it as well. So I, I we at least have hope, like you said. Uh, for people that aren't as tied down to Jane Austen uh, titles, i.e. me, what would you compare this, the, this story most to, Mike? My hope for it is that it compares mostly to Death at a Funeral and those great British comedies that are a joke a minute and you're just really getting at high pace. Like I said, screwball comedy. I, I'm hoping that's the case, but I just might be getting old and i be i might be more patient mm. i might just be that much of a mama's boy i don't care it looks terrific though doesn't it it really it really does yeah there's a lot of appeal there other than you're just cookie cutter everyday uh, period piece uh, there's elevated jokes here yeah. i think they're, they're crushing it promising young woman michael premise just plain and simple and i'm speaking genuinely now just as as mike here this is the winner of the most original concept movie of 2020 yeah. my words don't do this trailer justice i don't think do yourself a favor. Go seek out the Promising Young Woman trailer. It was spectacular, I think. It might be one of the more important premises. I mean, to make date rape as the foundation for a revenge thriller with this much style and anger, righteous anger, and then you have all these great actresses. Mike, 2020 is looking like one hell of a movie year. I want to see this now. I lo- I watched this trailer, I think, seven times the first time I saw it. I was <laughs> enraptured by it. We have a violin version of Britney Spears' Toxic. We have Bo Burnham as the voice of reason. We have a one-woman trailer vengeance against date rape and toxic masculinity and victim blaming we have an intelligent protagonist who realizes that higher level secondary education can be a means to a different ends than its intended purpose be still my heart production design the cinematography the editing in the trailer again like you said taking a male fantasy of a nurse's costume and turning it into this brilliant horror getup. I mean, again, from an actress that makes you as righteously angry as I think she is just yeah. by watching it. I mean, in her face. I mean, she could pull this off against these scummy guys. I'm so in. And it can't be a mistake. I was thinking about this, too, that there's so many young 
people that played teen idols and there's this meta commentary here i think about how with so many young teenage hollywood how they get in and out of trouble so easily because yeah. of their power now we have stuff like adam brody the guy that christopher mintz plus who played mclovin these are all the date rapists here i think it is that meta commentary on young hollywood about toxic masculinity again carrie mulligan is the lead in this like i said bo burnham plays the conscious from her past life connie Britton, adam brody like i said max greenfield's in this laverne cox chris mintz plus molly shannon allison Bree, sam richardson alfin molina Woo, good god uh, april 17th can't come soon enough i mean we're getting this original property from a female director who's had huge tv success from killing eve i mean this is what cinema needs to do more of I wish it was Agreed. happening during Oscar season, but Agreed. still, kudos all around. Emerald Fennel, she's the, the, the aforementioned, she wrote and produced for Killing Eve. She starred as Camilla in The Crown. This is her feature directorial debut. debut excuse me. I'm blown away. And also, we talk about Sony, we talk about A24. We don't give Focus Feature enough shine, but they too had a wonderful 2019. Greta, The Mustang, Downton Abbey, Dark Waters, and they're probably going to land a couple Oscar nominations for Harriet. Focus A24 just crushing it lately. If only only Anna Pernock just get their shit yeah, together no kidding, like those huh? two. I mean, follow the blueprint. That's, I'm that's rooting what I for them, yeah. because they make good movies too, Anna Pernock. All right, going a little long, we know that. Let's wrap up with the Do You Care segment. This is the Do You Care segment. This is where we take out the news stories of the week and we ask ourselves, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is that we take this week's upcoming releases, both theatrically and on VOD, and I ask Padwan Jedi Mike here <laughs> what we think about them. So, Mike, this week going wide, we have Little Women, we have Spies in Disguise, Just Mercy, 1917, Bombshell is also expanding, my lord, what a big awards week. Also opening limited, we have The Song of Names and Ip Man 4, Colon the finale. Conjun a lot of conjunctions with the word "ip" is hard to do. <laughs> a lot of fans of that franchise. What do we have on VOD? We got "Where's Mr. Roy Cohn," which I was curious to rent. I I'm also gonna rent "Villains." Yes, I, I think I saw that's that my next. Yeah, there. yeah, I haven't, see, I haven't watched it, but I saw it was available. Streaming. Just to remind you, the two popes and the aeronauts come out tomorrow, so I think we'll watch those. Sure. I still have to watch "The Edge of Democracy" on Netflix, which I've already recommended somehow because I'm a liar. Yeah, before that checks out. Like I watched it already, <laughs> but I would tell you if I watched it. But whatever. All right, I was listening to our show the other day. I was like, wait, I already recommended this. I didn't even watch it yet. <laughs> I'm afraid There's to watch too it. many movies. All right. Well, we're seeing Little Women. We're going to review that in some way, shape, or form after Christmas. 1917 is platforming, I believe. So I don't think we're going to get a chance to to look at that quite so soon. Spies in Disguise. I know we want to see that from the trailers. Just Mercy. We're going to see that yep. bombshell. We're going to review. We're going to have to live at the theater this week. We are. We we knew it was coming. But I also sorry Christmas. I also wanted to point out the Oscar shortlist films. Many of them are available. To watch online. The Black Godfather's on Netflix. That's up for song. Fire in Paradise and After Maria documentary shorts that are also on Netflix. Look, Mike, I watched Kitbull on Disney+. Plus. You're a big fan. After The Mandalorian early this morning. It's eight minutes. It's an animated short. The animation is not that great, but this is the most adorable, heartbreaking, lovable, joyful animated short film I've ever seen, perhaps. I, I am an insane animal lover. Maybe that's why, but if this doesn't win everything, burn it all to the ground. <laughs> burn it all to the ground. This made me cry in eight minutes. How did you do that? How did you do that, Disney Is that Plus? on the short list? 
It's on the short. It is on the short list. Okay. Film shortlist. Go see it. But learning to skateboard in a war zone. If you're a girl, the Nightcrawler, Stay Close, Walk Run, Cha Cha, Hair Love, Horse Piste, Sister, and Uncle Thomas are all available online. I searched them all out. All you got to do is Google them. They're on either NewYorkTimes.com, The New Yorker, or they're on YouTube. Just quite simply, we got to start watching all of those. Oscar faithful. Good. God, the next couple months are going to be loaded for us. But at least those are short. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's the bright side. All right, Mike, <laughs> you start talking now because the Star Wars first reactions came in. How much do you care? Where's your care level? This is a bomb. It's over. Everything's awful. Uh, look, so the first reactions right out of the gate from the LA debut seem to vary from great ending to too much fan service. Yeah. Things have since taken, I would say, a darker turn. Yeah. Uh, and I gotta say, the one review that really kind of stuck with me was from the Hollywood Reporter's Ryan Parker himself, who said, right out of the gates, the last Jedi haters will be very pleased. And Mike, you and I have railed and yelled into these microphones saying, just don't erase Ryan Johnson's progress. So we've said that not only out of love for the last Jedi, but we've said that out of fear about what happens when major studios listen to toxic fandom. And if you're just going to erase, this is the problem I have with the Ghostbusters franchise. If you're just going to look past things that you've already done because you want to do fan service and you're trying to kowtow to toxic fandom, you're going to end up regretting it. Usually, you don't end up regretting it right out of the gate, but it seems that Star Wars and J.J. Abrams have rewritten what Ryan Johnson did and they did some fan service stuff and they played to the Star Wars crowd and it's a 56. All right, so the closer we get to this movie, uh, the more worried I am. Yeah. However, I am going to cling to Star Wars and old hope. <laughs> Clayton Davis has always said, the movies you really want to see as a film critic are those 50 percenters. Yeah. Now, I'm probably going to be right there with you because I loved Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi. I it's was, so good. I thought it was so bold. And I, yes. I, what I was hoping for in this movie was that J.J. Abrams would pull off a third act, number yep. one, and that he would make bold choices. Yep. Because I think the genre, which is, it, it's become a genre in itself, Star Wars. It's a brand, but it's also a genre. It's become a little stale uh, at its worst moments. As much, as much as Solo is a fine movie, I don't want to just walk out of a movie. All right, that's like every other blockbuster I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's like every other Star Wars movie I've ever seen. I want something new. Right? I want something I never knew right. I always wanted. That, that's the moviegoer paradox, right? And this... John Hodgman just did a whole diatribe about the danger of nostalgia, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though we all want it, and how it's just longing for how think we thought things always were, and that's why we like it, because we're all fear change, and that's what the Trump campaign is basically based off of, and blah, 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 and that's why well, it's, a, it's a microcosm of... Day. It was beautiful. He did, it, he did it Pod Save America. It was really well done. I, I suggest you go seek it out. But if you... Don't do new ideas. You pretty much are just servicing the old fans. And the older fans, not all of them, obviously, but those are the ones that are responsible for the outcries of Ghostbusters can't be all women. Uh, those are the ones responsible for uh, Ray has to be the daughter of somebody else. They're they're pushing a, a female protagonist just because it's 2017. Yeah. And they want... like. Fuck, no. You need new ideas. You need to evolve. You need to change. So there's another way to think about it for me here. Because that maxim works, I agree with you, but it, there's also a maxim where, you know, we're going to show the same old or some of the old 
principles and we're going to make it work on a new audience because that new audience is always replenishing itself i'm sure you see this all the time in pro wrestling i mean when they're going for for new fans they're just going to modernize all the shit that's worked for them before so if this movie is trying to get episodes 10 11 and 12 which i've seen people some critics say this is what it's setting up even though disney says they're not doing trilogies anymore which i think is bs but you uh, know they already have us yeah they already have right. us for nine episodes. What they really want is the next wave of things. And I would argue Ryan Johnson tried that. Yeah. I, the way he used Luke in episode eight, I think, was trying to modernize it and give the, you know, not be so fan servicey, but to say, we know you have this deity in Luke Skywalker and a deity in the sense, not in the, how he's portrayed in the movie, deity in the sense of so many fans love and adore him. Yeah. I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to give him new unique skill sets and try to present him in a different way but he's still going to be Luke Skywalker that you all know and love and he was trashed for it by the fanboys and I think this is the danger you run into with these if you just want nostalgia if you just want the uh, lowbrow studios Nick Mundy and lowbrow studios just collaborated on this take about how weird it is that they're bringing back the Emperor and why are they bringing back the Emperor well it's just for nostalgia's sake and blah 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 Mm. It it was a funny cartoon but I think that's the risk you're running here overall if you're going to kowtow to toxic fandom, you're going to run into issues. That's where I land on it. That's why I laugh about this. If J.J. Abrams wanted to wipe away all the bold choices Ryan Johnson did in episode eight, you kind of reap what you sow, man. I'm probably going to be upset like you are, but I'm... I'm I'm not happy about a bad Star Wars movie, by the way. I love Star Wars. I'm not as big a fan as you. I love the property. I want good movies, and I want an evolution. I'm stealing myself, though, I'll say it again. I'm stealing myself to have some fun at the movies. I mean, sure. a lot of the reviews are still somewhat positive that, you know, there's a lot of you know, big moments, all the lightsaber stuff is cool. And right. You're, you're going to get a Star Wars movie right. still. Right. And J.J. Abrams proved he can give us that much, even if he, you know, he hits some big story notes that I don't love. But when do we have the conversation about. When's the last time J.J. Abrams made a great movie that wasn't episode seven? I think he's made two-thirds of a lot of great movies. Yeah. You know, he's, he's he doesn't finish movies right. well. And I, I just, I didn't like the end of The Force Awakens. I, I appreciated it for setting up the series. I, I get it. It's a sequel. Right. Fine. I, I still have not seen a movie from start to finish that I loved, 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 even though Star Trek came the closest, I would say. The first Star Fair. Trek. Fingers crossed. I'm like you. I'm hopeful. I am fearful of how much I'm not going to like it, and uh, I hope it doesn't lead to a big, loud argument between you and I about one of us loving it and one of us not. I don't know, but fifty <laughs> percent it's a fifty percent or so. It's flip a coin. Well, you, you need you need to hear our review. Bottom line, to tease that. All right, uh, we have uh, Kevin Feige news. Yeah, this is uh, for you, Mike. Kevin Feige has said that the next Avengers level team up is well underway. Okay, so without spoilers, two teases in this article from Slash Film seem worthwhile to mention. Number one, we get the shape of what's going to happen heading out of Eternals. They're going to start to set something up. We're going to have a juiced up Kumail Nanjiani. <laughs> but we're going back to space, too, I think. I think okay. that's another you know cool thing. So those are general so things. So that would suggest that the X-Men aren't close to being introduced, right? That would suggest as much, yes. Okay. So I'm okay with that. Let's let them have time and figure out what they want to do with the X-Men. Let's cleanse ourselves of the new mutants Mm -hmm. whenever they have to release that. I don't think that's ever coming out. But yeah, I mean, Camille Nanjiani might be too jacked. I mean, this is turning into a Camille (laughs) Nanjiani story. I mean, he's almost so jacked that he's not funny anymore. Oh, boy. He's too good looking now. I don't know. How can you make that funny, Camille? I'm sure if anybody could, you can. I just want to see him and Dave Bautista fight. (laughs) 
That's all I care about. Who would win now? Now we don't know. That's all I care about. My God, it's ridiculous (laughs) how jacked he is. Stuber 2. And it's just the two of them fighting for real. Arm wrestling the whole movie (laughs) while he makes jokes. Mike, the Cats premiere also had first reactions. So Tom Hooper told Variety that he finished editing this movie for its final form on the morning of December 15th for its debut on December 16th. Variety asked him, are you happy with how it looks? The man could not have given a more evasive answer. I am as giddy about that movie looking terrible as I am as trepidatious about Star Wars being bad. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, this this, again, it bodes well for a really cool movie event. (laughs) Review from us. I'm trying to tease the shit out of you right now. Yes. But my hope is that I not only do I want this to be bad, I want it to be a glorious failure. The likes of which we haven't seen since <laughs> Batman and Robin, Waterworld, oh or Xanadu. Oh, I Xanadu! It, I want it that level of nonsense. Here's my fear, though. Tom Hooper doesn't make movies doesn't that make that awful bad, movies right? he yeah. makes good movies so here my worry is like the michael bay thing with six underground to bring this full circle it's just a movie you don't care about it'll just be a movie i dislike yeah and i'll just be like oh this is boring this is stupid you know and just it won't be fun i truly go into every movie with a clean slate i, I know I, I hype up expectations we preview and stuff i, I don't, do not i i try to go in with <laughs> as clean a slate as possible and give everything an equal chance if i come out liking cats more than star wars I, it'll be the happiest I've been in years just because if if truly J.J. Abrams uh, erased everything from episode 8 and every decision Ryan Johnson made I I will be giddy I want to say bad things to you right now but <laughs> Tarantino was offered uh, to make a Halloween sequel uh, right around the time between 5 and 6 yeah that's how the story goes. I do care about this, obviously. A Halloween from Tarantino would have been cool. He basically pitched it as what would have been uh, natural-born killers, but with Michael Myers and another cohort. With He was supposed to be given the the burden of explaining who the man yeah. in black was at the end of Halloween 5 to set up Halloween 6. Obviously, Miramax ends up going in a different direction. We get what we got with the curse of Michael Myers. All right, so now the curse of Michael Myers. Was that the Paul Rudd unwatchable yes. puke bucket yes. of the film? Yes, that's the one where the producers cut his at least trying to make a coherent story, whereas the theatrical cut and the Weinstein cut does not. Now, this article, like, the big takeaway is his thoughts on a Rob Zombie, though, right? Yeah, he said he likes the Rob Zombie Halloweens because he likes Rob Zombie Sam Peckinpah aesthetic. Now, we kind of love-hate the Rob Zombie films, in a way. Like we the think aesthetic. the Rob Zombie, t- the Halloween 2, the first 15 minutes, is the best Halloween 2 that we have right now. And the aesthetic is pretty cool if it wasn't yes. just so gory. And I, I know some people can handle that more than I can. Uh, th- that's my take. But Tarantino is known to make really good films. I think that's indisputable. His taste in movies, <laughs> however, hasn't it just been awful? Like between the Grindhouse movies and all the movies. Well, you liked Crawl. And he says Crawl is his favorite movie of 2019. But no, it's nobody else's favorite movie of any 19. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, He's an interesting cat. I think that's fair to say. And I would love to pick his brain about a lot of things movies. You wouldn't have gotten your glorious, awesomely bad Halloween 6. No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. So for that, I'm thankful. And just as an aside, Tarantino's Star Trek movie may not happen. Another article from Slash Film. It was never going to happen. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, stop it. It's almost as if the story was a, entirely a publicity <laughs> yeah, stunt, Michael. No figure. He doesn't seem the type. Anyway, wrapping up here, last story, Mike. Yorgos Lanthimos' next movie is The Hawkline Monster. 
It's a gothic western where two gunslingers are hired to kill a monster in 1902 Eastern Oregon. Hal Ashby originally wanted to do it in the 70s. I think Tim Burton wanted to do it recently. I just bought the book this morning. I can't wait to listen to it. Yorgos! I never would have thought you'd pick this. I mean, think about it, Mike. If there's a monster in a western landscape, two gunslingers got to fight it, you'd see that by anyone. How much more do you want to see that? Because it's Yorgos Lanthimos. An actual monster movie (laughs) from Yorgos Lanthimos is almost too on the nose, isn't it? (laughs) You might be right. You might be right. No, I'm very excited, obviously. It's got the gothic western thing going on, though. Yeah, I I, I clearly could not. Yorgos Lanthimos, when we say tongue-in-cheek, I mean, again, you're going to accuse me of walking this back, but everybody knows how much we love Tarantino. Everybody knows how much we love Lorgos. Yogos Lanthimos. Everybody knows how much we love and revere the Star Wars property. We say all these pot shots with love because Mm -hmm. we want these properties to all excel and do well. Now, here's something I don't know if I want or don't want in this movie. Like, it could be great or it could be terrible, but if it's just two gunslingers about to have a duel Mm. and they're like, stop, you gotta fight a monster, I'm gonna hate it. (laughs) Or I'm gonna love it. I don't know. (laughs) Who goes there? It's a monster. All I know is that monster's gonna be fucking shot in a fisheye lens and I can't wait. (laughs) Guys, right? That is your work around the Hollywoods for all the big blockbusters and major movie happenings. Like we said, we got a lot of stuff on the immediate horizon, but we want to know your thoughts. Have you seen episode nine yet? What do you think? Did you like episode eight? And if so, did J.J. Abrams do it justice or did he disregard it all? Daisy Ridley is going to fucking be the so- the daughter of the Emperor. That's what's going to happen. Right? I'm your uh, father. If he says that, I'm walking out. I'm You're leaving the theater. Out. I was going to say that I'm going to leave the theater. <laughs> that will be awful. I'm your father. Oh, my God. Ah. I, my stomach is... I can feel my... <clears throat> Want to know your thoughts about this and anything else we do here in the MMO Empire? You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, suggestions. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you do hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you happen to use an iPhone, if you just use the Apple Podcasts app, if you can go to the Apple Podcasts app, that little purple square with the, I guess, Emperor, White Emperor sticking out of the middle of it, <laughs> tap on that, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search uh, and tap on our logo once. Scroll down once. You can see the opportunity to leave us five stars. Those truly go a long way. We thank each and every one of you that can leave us a five-star review. Michael, what is coming next as if we haven't teased it enough? Well, I already teased the reviews we got coming, but uh, we're going to review the two popes at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe on an orc, maybe in its own episode. We're going to review uh, Little Women, like I said. We're going to have another MMOW coming up at some point next week, probably later than this week. FYI. <laughs> so we may be back to our well, it's normal. it's Christmas. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be tough next week. We're, we're going to get your, your regular programming. Uh, but it is wise, Michael. Yeah. Not to think of Emperor Palpatine oh, having sex. Christ almighty. That's going to be my that's going to be my if we, wa- if we walk out of Star Wars thinking of Emperor Palpatine having sex, that's a problem, isn't it? See, he's going to be like 700 years old, right? <laughs> like that's by canonically, the emperor's got to be a billion years old, right? And he's got this 20-year-old daughter who just <sighs> happens to be and he just lied about his purpose. <sighs> I don't like this. Better not. I don't like any Better of this. not be this. Better not be that. If he says, I'm your father, I'm going to freak out. Here's the thing, though. I'm hoping that my left brain or right brain, whatever side of the brain I'm supposed to cite right now, help me, Kate. (laughs) If I'm making up this whole contraption, this contrivance right now, just to give us something that, at least it wasn't that. 
Right. Just to give us an sure. at least it wasn't right. that, then we're okay. Well, with you've it. done it. Because <laughs> if he doesn't do that, I'll be at least somewhat satisfied. But I reverse jinx the reverse jinx by mentioning as much. Don't gamble, Mike. <laughs> You'll get way too far into your head with this type of logic. That's why I don't. <laughs> Guys, uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make a war season year-round without the stuffiness when reality sucks or the Emperor's logic sucks. You can come watch movies with us. We will see you very, very soon. See ya. Oh, boy. <laughs>